I'm going to give my talk a different title today to the one in the programme, but we are looking at the same passage. So we're in Luke chapter 11 from verse 37 through to chapter 12, verse 3. And the title I've given my talk is When Good People Go Bad. And we're going to be looking at some very hard-hitting things that Jesus said to the Pharisees and to the teachers of the law. Things which potentially have an application to each one of us. So let's set the scene by reading the first two verses. So verse 37 says, When Jesus had finished speaking, a Pharisee invited him to eat with him. So he went in and reclined at the table. By the way, there were other Pharisees and teachers of the law there that we'll see a little bit later. But the Pharisee was surprised when he noticed that Jesus did not first wash before the meal. Now Jesus had already been saying some hard things to the Pharisees, so inviting him in for a meal was uh, is unlikely to have been the Pharisee just wanting to be sociable. It was probably, uh, I think, um, a trap to besiege him with more questions. But when Jesus accepted the invitation, I think it was actually Jesus planning the trap. And he sits down at the table without washing his hands. Oh my word, what was he doing? You see, hand washing was a ritual that the Pharisees were fanatical about. It was their way of removing the spiritual defilement of daily life and it had to be done in a very particular way. I imagine the Pharisees were thinking, if this Jesus was meant to be a great teacher of religion, how, how could he get this so wrong? But I think Jesus had been waiting for this reaction and now it was his turn to go on the offensive. Before we look at what Jesus said, let's just think first about the Pharisees for a moment because we often shake our heads at them don't we? Terrible people. But we need to be very careful here because it's quite possible for any of us to behave in the same way as the Pharisees. And actually in some respects I wish I was like the Pharisees because to become a Pharisee they first had to go through a probationary period to prove their suitability, uh, to prove that they were committed to holy living, that they, they loved God's words. And in many respects they were outstanding in their diligence, keeping all the rules and regulations, the doctrines of their faith. Remember this was the Apostle Paul's background. To become a Pharisee was a good aspiration for the devout Jew. Let me tell you quickly what the Mishnah says about the ritual of hand washing. The, the, the um, Mishnah was the, the written record or the first major written record of the, the many Jewish traditions. And this one section on hand washing gives a, a tiny insight into the rules which made up every day of a Pharisee's life. 
It says, the hands are susceptible to uncleanness and are rendered clean by the pouring over them of water up to the wrist. If a man pours the first water up to the wrist and the second water beyond the wrist and the water flows back to the hand, the hand becomes clean. But if he pours the water first and the second water beyond the wrist and the water flows back to the hand, the hand remains unclean and so on and so on. And it goes on. That's just a small section of the bit on hand washing. Do you and I take the same level of care over the things that we know are important to God? Our Bible reading and prayers, our preparation for the remembrance and ministry or other duties in the church, our sharing of the gospel, the standards of our day-to-day -day lives. I think Pharisees could teach us a lot about religious devotion. But somehow these good, pious Jews had gone bad. They were an example of what Jesus had been talking about just before he got this invitation to the meal. The light within them had become darkness. And Jesus didn't uh, mince his words. It says in verse 39, Then the Lord said to him, Now then, you Pharisees, clean the outside of the cup and dish, but inside you are full of greed and wickedness. Jesus was accusing the Pharisees of being hypocrites, more concerned with how they looked on the outside than the sin on their inside. And the sad thing is that many of these Pharisees genuinely believed they were doing the right thing. Just like the churches that we read about in the book of Revelation, especially Sardis, which uh, it says had a reputation for doing great things. It says that they had a reputation for being alive. But inside, the Lord said, they were dead. And you get that, um, uh, a similar impression about all the Revelation churches, that they all thought they were doing okay. They were holding the fort, they were maintaining the faith, and some of them thought they were doing much better than that. But in most of them, lukewarmness, apathy and sin had crept in, and it was only a matter of time before their lampstands would go out. I think there are many warnings for us in the messages that God sent to the churches in Revelation. And another similarity between Revelation and what Jesus was saying to the Pharisees is, is, is what we get in verse 40. Jesus says, You foolish people, did not the one who made the outside make the inside also? What's the similarity with Revelation? Every message to the churches in Revelation included the Lord's words, I know. I know your deeds. I know where you're at. I know what's going on. He knows what's on the inside of the cup too. And it's a warning to us all, isn't it? If there's any pretense, any hypocrisy, any hint of only being a Sunday Christian or just going through the motions, God knows. God knows. So what exactly did Jesus have against the Pharisees? There are three woes here. And by the way, um, you know, the word woe is not a word that we 
tend to use a lot these days. Uh, but in, in its context, it simply was an expression of huge regrets, of, of great sadness, terrible sorrow. This is Jesus grieving over their condition. Of all people, these religious leaders should have known better. And the first woe was about their giving, which is strange because giving was one of the things that the Pharisees were known for. They were exemplary givers, or so it seemed. Verse 42, woe to you Pharisees, because you give God a tenth of your mint, rue and all other kinds of garden herbs, but you neglect justice and the love of God. You should have practiced the latter without leaving the former undone. No sincere Pharisee ever knowingly gave less than his legal obligation, and in some respects they even gave more. But on the inside, they were anything but generous because they didn't care. They didn't really care about the common people, their physical needs, their spiritual needs. They didn't care about social justice. And therefore, as it says in 1 John 3 and 17, and keep in mind this was written to Christians, not Pharisees, because they didn't have any practical expression of the love of God in their lives, they didn't show the love of God to others, clearly they didn't really love God. What God wanted more than their giving, and it's the same today, is what Micah 6 and 8 says. He has shown you what is good. And what does the Lord require of you? To act justly and to love mercy and to walk humbly with your God. So for us, if we see a need um, for material things, for practical help, or, or just spending time with someone. We should be as generous as possible, shouldn't we? If we love God, it's not enough to be known for our piety, our, our um, religious devotion. We should be known also for our kindness and generosity to others. <clears throat> The second woe was about their pride, and we get that in verse 43. Jesus said, Woe to you, Pharisees, because you love the most important seats in the synagogue and the respectful greetings in the marketplaces. The most important seats in the synagogues were those right at the front, facing the congregation, and the Pharisees love to be seen by everyone in all their religious finery. You can just imagine them, can't you, looking um, pensive, thoughtful as the, as, and, and serious as the law was being read, or looking joyful or blissful um, as the songs and the, the psalms were being sung, or sitting in various postures with facial expressions to show their approval or not as the case may be. 
Pride can be seen or felt in different ways, can't it? In the context of the Lord's warning, I think it's that feeling of superiority. The attitude when people believe that they're better than others. But it can also be the self-satisfaction when someone has something or achieves something that other people admire. And whilst we might think that the feeling of superiority is the one which is more obviously wrong, one of the problems of self-satisfaction, which isn't wrong in itself, I don't think, but it's, it's how it affects our priorities and our motives. And by that I mean we can end up doing things just because we want to look good. In John 5 and 44, Jesus said to the Jewish leaders, How can you believe, since you accept glory from one another, but don't seek the glory that comes from the only God? They cared more about the approval of others than pleasing God. And likewise, in the church community, because we know what things are approved of and disapproved of, we know what good and bad looks like, um, we can end up pretending to be more holy than we are, more studious of God's word than we are, more, more loving of the Lord than we really are, more concerned than we really are about those around us. So pride, this kind of pride can be addictive. It can make people pretend to be something that they're not, just to get approval. And even if we do love the Lord with all our hearts and we love our neighbour as ourselves, you remember the two greatest commandments Jesus said, and even if we're totally committed to knowing God's will and doing it, the risk of pride is still one of those prowling lions waiting for the opportunity to devour us. I was reading the comments of a Christian guy recently who was dismayed at a poster that he saw in church advertising an all-star worship band. He called it a, an oxymoron, um, you know, a contradiction in terms. This invitation to come and focus and see these um, human stars, the praise band, while trying to worship God. He gave another example, uh, a missionary who'd given him his business card. And on the back, he had all his many degrees and qualifications and other titles uh, printed there. And clearly, he was a very important person. But pride can be even more subtle than that. It can arise from the appreciation that might be expressed to the speaker for a helpful ministry or to the person in charge of catering that goes particularly well at an event or um, any job done well for that matter can, can cause pride or having um, any position which is considered to be worthy of respect whether it be a, an overseer or a deacon uh, a leading brother or a, a ministering brother full-time ministering brother 
the, the church treasurer, uh, a committee chairman, or even just to be on the committee for that matter, if it's an important committee, um, or, or a, a youth leader, or, or a member of the praise band, obviously, the, uh, the guest speaker, or anyone in charge of anything, etc., etc. These are all good things. But because they're good, they come with the risk of pride. So the great tragedy for the Pharisees and the reason for the Lord's grief is that despite all their diligence, their, their love of God's word, their devout studies, their lives full of religious practice, somehow they'd lost their way and pride was a big part of that. And the third woe, I think in a sense, is not really a, a, a separate thing. It's, it's more the outcome of um, the, the, the previous two woes. Um, it was the, the impact on those around them. Verse 44, woe to you because you are like unmarked graves which people walk over without knowing it. Graves were ceremonially unclean and therefore they were clearly marked. Otherwise, if you stepped on one accidentally, you became defiled. And if you happened, say, to be on the way to the, the temple, according to Numbers 19 and 13, you not only defiled yourself, but when you got there, you, de you defiled the temple as well. And that's why graves were whitewashed every year um, before Passover to keep them visible and reduce this risk of people becoming defiled accidentally and without them knowing it. So we have here the tragic irony that the Pharisees who were so concerned about religious practice and purity, so obsessed with keeping the rules to maintain the holiness of God's house, so judgmental of anyone who didn't do as they did. These defenders of the faith, they were the source of spiritual contamination to all the unsuspecting Israelites that followed them. They presented themselves as role models for others to imitate, but it was they who were defiling God's house and the people of God. As 1 Corinthians 15 says, bad company corrupts good character. And likewise, the way we live our lives can have an influence on others for good or bad. We could be like unmarked graves if we stumble others. Now, in verse 45, we can see that it wasn't just the Pharisees who were present at the meal. As I said at the beginning, there were, there were some um, lawyers there. Um, they're also known in Scripture as the experts in the law, or, or sometimes they're called the scribes. It's the same, the same job, same group of people. And uh, they were offended by what Jesus said. In fact, in verse 45, uh, one of the experts in the law answered him, Teacher, when you say these things, you insult us also. It seems like they weren't too bothered about the Pharisees being offended, but now that the lawyers were being offended, then it was getting uh, really serious. 
the experts in the law had a different role. The Pharisees, their job was to keep the law and to make sure everybody else kept the law. But the experts in the law, the lawyers, the scribes, they were the writers of the law. And by that, I mean they were the ones who created all the extra regulations which were supposedly there to help people comply with God's law. In fact, it was more acceptable or more forgivable to break one of God's um, commands as delivered to the people through Moses because they were considered in some cases to be a little bit ambiguous or requiring interpretation, etc., etc. Um, it was more acceptable to, dis to get one of those wrong than it was to break one of the nearly 6,000 extra regulations that the lawyers had created, supposedly to protect God's law. Jesus went on to deliver three woes against the, the, uh, the lawyers. Um, for overburdening the people with all these unnecessary rules and regulations, for their indirect role in rejecting the prophets, and thirdly, for making God's way so difficult and complicated that they, presented, um, they prevented others from understanding it. Um, essentially, they were, just, they were taking away the keys to the kingdom from the, from the people. But I'm going to pass over that section, if I may. Um, firstly, because I think it's more applicable to church leaders and teachers and um, the congregation today doesn't, isn't fully um, reflected in that way. Um, but secondly, because I think there's probably enough for us to absorb in what was said to the Pharisees. The, the warnings which are um, applicable to to every one of us. And I don't want to dilute that by wandering into um, three more woes um, which aren't as relevant, um, shall we say, to every, every one of us. So what I'd like to do is go really right to the end of the passage now and, uh, and, and just look at the first few verses of chapter 12. Let's read. Verse 1. Meanwhile, when a crowd of many thousands had gathered so that they were trampling on one another, Jesus began to speak first to his disciples, saying, Be on your guard against the yeast of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy. There is nothing concealed that will not be disclosed, or hidden that will not be made known. What you said in the dark will be heard in the daylight, and what you have whispered in the ear in the inner rooms will be proclaimed from the roofs. It's a final warning about hypocrisy, isn't it? That everything will be made known one day. If what we are on the outside is different to what we are on the inside, it will all be exposed. We need to be men and women of integrity, to do what we say and say what we do, without pretense, open and honest, and without pride. And not like those in Matthew chapter 15, 
verse 7. Let me just quickly turn to that. This is Jesus speaking to a um, similar group of people. Um, interestingly, after another um, challenge about um, hand washing, because they've noticed his, um, the Lord's disciples didn't wash their hands either. Uh, and Jesus said to them in Matthew 15, verse 7, You hypocrites! Isaiah was right when he prophesied against you. These people honour me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. They worship me in vain. Their teachings are merely human rules. Jesus described this hypocrisy as the yeast of the Pharisees. It's something which corrupted all those who were touched by it. Let me go back to the title I gave this talk uh, today, When Good People Go Bad. It's so easy to judge the Pharisees because their sins are highlighted for us so clearly in God's word. But remember, most Pharisees were diligent, devout, ordinary people who wanted to serve their God. And they just followed the bad example set by the Pharisees who went before them. As I said, somehow most of them had lost their way. As Jesus said in Matthew 15, they were blind guides leading the blind, having been led themselves by the blind guides that went before them. We all have an influence on each other. And anyone else that we come into contact with, you know the saying, no one's an island. And the thought behind the word yeast is that it only takes a little. It only takes a little yeast to make bread. It only takes a little corruption to go a long way and by that I mean just a little bit of worldliness a little bit of gossip a little bit of greed or anger or jealousy or double standards or pride that's how the institution of the Pharisees became corrupt how many good people went bad and so can any church or community of churches today if we don't each of us try our very best to live out the values that we say we believe in. Not with pretense, but with sincerity and humility and a genuine love for God and the people around us. May God help us to do that.